This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Maybe uh, it's time to start thinking about a trip to warmer climes, such as Brisbane, where the Brisbane Festival. I'm joined on the line by David Bertolt, the Artistic Director of the Festival, who launched uh, his third festival program this week. David, good morning. Great to talk to you, Richard. So, in terms of the festival this year, one of the things that immediately stands out is there's a really strong focus on contemporary music. Now, Every um, major international arts festival has a contemporary music strand, but it seems there's a much greater emphasis on live music and contemporary music in your festival this year. Why is that? Yeah, well, I guess it's part of Brisbane's DNA. You know, the city, you know, is home to a lot of, you know, really iconic Brisbane and international bands, you know, going back to Go-Betweens and the Saints and, you know, so many. And we're partnering with the Tivoli this year, um, which is an iconic Brisbane venue, and uh, and it's the Beyonce building's hundredth anniversary this year, so we thought that's a really good re- and, and under new ownership, so that seemed a really good reason to really underline the music part of it. Now, as well as being renowned as a music city, Brisbane is also something of a circus city. You've got uh, some uh, some yeah. significant circus makers up there. Cassis Circus have got in, uh, a work Driftwood in the festival this year. Tell us about that and some of the other productions involved because there's also a visiting production which is part circus, part theatre as well. Yeah, it's, it's true. Brisbane, you know, Circa and Cassis and, and even, you know, Strut and Fret productions make shows like Limbo and Blanc de Blanc who have travelled around the world, uh, you know, grew up in Brisbane. And uh, so Driftwood uh, is coming here to Avignon in France and has just been to European festivals and returns home for, for Driftwood. Uh, it's a really joyous bit of work. Um, and uh, Strutt and Fred are back too with um, a revamped version of Limbo called Limbo Unhinged, which is even wilder than the, the original Limbo. And also a big new show for us called Funhouse, which is all set in a funhouse with DJ Pogo and all sorts of um, artists from Cirque du Soleil and Broadway um, who are who are, who are being gathered for that brand new show for us. Uh, but um, yeah, the Circus Theatre is interesting. A show from Switzerland called Pete, um, who made La Verita a few years ago. This is their brand new show, and you know these acrobats wear thirty kilograms of medieval armor. So it's so kind of every 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 gesture they make is a triumph strength over the odds and it's a really stunningly beautiful bit of work actually when you program a festival like this what are the risks of bringing back a company whose work is already familiar to audiences as opposed to the benefits i think it's mostly a benefit um you know people really loved la verita last year from that swiss company and it's actually a company of performers so those same 13 performers on stage um in la verita will be back on stage for Petain. so there's a kind of I think there's, there's a particular kind of joy in seeing the same performers um, back because they so endeared themselves to Brisbane audiences last year, but in a quite a different work. Though, you know, so it's um, you know I think people will really enjoy that. Now, in terms of different works, something that may provoke some people, one of the theatre productions that's on, an Octoroon, which is, uh, to my understanding, one of the most uh, politically sensitive works that Queensland theatre uh, have staged for quite a few years. Well, it's interesting because it's an, it's a, it's an American play by an African-American playwright called Brandon Jacob Jen- Jenkins. And... The New York Times called it the most, you know, incisive statement about race 
in America in the last decade, and I think it is. The thing that's about great about it is that Nakia Louis, you know, one of the kind of great new wave of in, of indigenous kind of thinkers and playwrights here in Australia, thought that it had distinct parallels with um, slavery and the cotton trading in Queensland, you know, as, as an indigenous experience. So she got. Um, Brandon's permission to rewrite bits of the play and to set it in Queensland uh, as an Indigenous story, and the key is directing that as her directorial debut. So that's a that's a really dangerous thing to do, and I think will provoke quite a lot of um, commentary uh, about race and and the connections between um, uh, uh, Australia and America. One of the other local companies, local theatre companies in Brisbane who are presenting work in your festival this year, uh, La Boite, uh, their production Laserbeak Man, which is a puppet work, amongst other things, uh, and really intriguing uh, using the work of the artist Tim Sharp. Yeah, we've been working on this for a few years now, and Tim Sharp is a Brisbane artist, autistic, discovered a way to communicate through drawing and specifically creating his own superhero called Laserbeak Man. And his work's been exhibited all around the world, Metropolitan Museum and so on. He's, he's the subject in an Australian story episode on ABC television. Uh, and the Puppet Society have been, you know, world beaters of another Brisbane company, but, you know, their last show... They did it in Lincoln Centre in New York a couple of months ago, and this particular show has been developed in Brisbane and in New York at New Victory Theatre on Broadway, and Jim Henson, Puppet Foundation involved. So it's a lot of international partners, a lot of new, there's about 30 puppets. Um, new music, actually, there's a lot of music, I almost call it a musical, uh, with, um, made and, and performed by Sam Cromack from Ballpark Music, and two of these Colleagues from Ballpark Music will be um, playing each night, which is amazing to have you know part of that band um, with it as well. Now, the fact that um, Tim Sharp is an artist with autism is an interesting segue then to another work in the festival, uh, Kaleidoscope, which is in many ways uh, an entry point to understand what it is like to live with autism from the perspective of uh, a young boy. Yeah, this guy's 14, Ethan. Um, autism, uh, specifically Asperger's syndrome, and he he fell in love with circus, you know, rather than drawing. And um, and this show has been made around him. So he actually he actually performs uh, at each performance, and with a team of circus performers, that you know we we get we get a very privileged um, kind of picture of what it's like to see the world through through Ethan's eyes. You know, the color and the chaos and the kind of kaleidoscopic. Um, of the, the senses that he's, he experiences, so it's a little portal into the way he sees the world. Now, as I said, uh, this is your third Brisbane festival, and there's an interesting link that has continued from your very first festival onwards. Uh, your first festival had, amongst other things, a focus on work from Singapore. You've maintained that engagement with Singapore, and in this festival there's other works also from the Asia-Pacific region. How valuable is it for you as an artistic director of a festival to maintain that connection with uh, a particular nation and its culture in order to provide not only an over view of contemporary art from Singapore, but also to, to dig deeper into what is happening there and our connection with our neighbours? Look, I think it's really important. And, you know, again, I think it's part of Brisbane's personality. You know, it takes pride in, in, in having close relationship with the Asia Pacific and, you know, it has for a number of years now. So 
you know, we have work from China, from Korea, from Singapore, from uh, Indonesia, and a lot of those artists returning. You should say Singapore. There's three or four productions from Singapore. Some of those are returning artists, and the, the, the and you know, Singapore culturally is such a complex thing in its relationship with China, with Malaysia. Um, you know, as, as a as a as a sort of you know, strangely democratic city, state, island, nation. You know, it, it's a it's a very unusual place, quite a unique um, city, nation in the world, and, and the way it grapples with culture in all sorts of ways. So, it's it's a really fascinating place, and its artists reflect that in all sorts of marvelous ways. If you've just tuned in, we're talking with David Berthold, who's the Artistic Director of Brisbane Festival, the 2017 Brisbane Festival running from the 9th to the 30th of September. One of the other intriguing aspects about the program this year for me is that there are a number of shows that are blurring art forms, and we're seeing more and more of that in the world. Um, for a, a festival program, does it present a challenge to, to instead of for people who may be more familiar with browsing through a program going, these are the theatre shows, those are the dance shows, that those yeah. are the music shows. When when borders are broken down like that, does it make a, a, a program, a festival program, more difficult to navigate for audiences? Or from your perspective, is it a benefit? Because it then encourages them to experience the festival as a whole rather than just choose, say, one or two shows because they like theatre. Yeah, you know, it's a really tricky thing, Richard, and uh, and we kind of struggle with it because when trying to arrange the brochure or talk about it, and you know, someone might ask, "Oh, what's what's you know, what's the big theatre show?" And you think, "Well, actually, <laughs> there are, there are a number, but oh, it's kind of bit circus as well, or it deals with dance, but it's theatre, and and of course that's you know that's that sort of blowing's been going on you know for a very long time, of course, but I think particularly in festivals you see that 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 blurring that blowing is much more evident. So it makes it very hard to categorize some shows, but that's just reflective of, of the way that artists are making work in the world today. You know, everywhere I travel, I see that. And, you know, most festivals are like that. And uh, so, yeah, it's a struggle, but I think it does hopefully encourage people to, to see more shows and to pick up the patterns that are, you know, embedded in any, in any good festival. Because certainly uh, the the best festival experiences tend to be where you, instead of just seeing one or two shows, which may be outstanding, but if you have the opportunity to go to two or three exhibitions, two or three performances, a band, a dance piece, to to try and create your own overview of the festival as a punter uh, is a really rewarding and enriching way of experiencing a major festival like the Brisbane Festival. Yeah, I think that's right. Like I say, you can you take a trip through the Asia Pacific in all sorts of ways. You you can you know have a little exploration of autism if you like. There's stuff there about gender. Quite a lot of work about gender if you go looking for it. There's quite a lot of work about race and politics if you go looking for it. Um, you know, there's stuff there about Islam. Um, you know, so there's quite. If, if you want to go exploring, you can see those sorts of um, patterns. And, and as you said earlier, a lot of contemporary music, not only examining the work of legends like Velvet Underground, Saints, and David Bowie, for example, but also. Uh, new music fresh out of the studio from around the world as, as well. So that kind of mix of the new and, uh, and a re-examination of, of, of legends. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. 
For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au. You're tuned to Triple R. Richard Watts with you here on Smart Art. My next guests have joined us in the studio. Director Nancy Black and writer, performer Alison Richards joined us to talk about Black Hole Theatre's The Book of Revelations, which, amongst other things, let's begin by describing it as an immersive artwork that explores what it's like to experience dementia. But it will go beyond that, I'm sure. Nancy Allison, welcome to Triple R. Good morning, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Good to see you. So this is at 45 Downstairs, and I get the impression it's uh, a work that this is not a traditional theatre work in which the audience sit in chairs and watch a show. This is uh, a work in which the audience uh, will move around a space. but it's They're, they're free to walk around. Um each member of the audience will be wearing headphones where they are listening to a pre-recorded track and um, there are visual things happening in the space all the time as well as Alison's live performance. So it's a very multi-layered um, event, if you like, and also it's looped. So um, it begins at 7.30 but you can come in at eight and you will be hearing the same thing as everybody else is in the space, but you'll be seeing the visuals in a different sequence and um, it will last about 45 minutes. So we're suggesting that if you want to see the whole sequence, you do get there before about you know, get there by eight fifteen. Eight fifteen. Yeah. Um, because we'll be poor old Ada. You know, time doesn't exist for Ada. Which is thus the the, the looping of the work. Yes. Yeah. So so things kind of keep happening again, and um, her world is very surprising. So ordinary domestic objects misbehave, and angel voices speak to her, and. Oh, there are all these strange people in her house. So, so w- what we wanted to do was to take um, a woman who is vibrant and alive and has a, a, a rich past history that we only kind of can guess at through the fragments that she reveals to us, um, and what happens when your world begins to fragment in a way that you can't control. And we wanted to give the audience that experience. So it's a very intimate, each person is very intimately in relationship to Ada. It's her voice that they're hearing. And they're also experiencing the same distortions of the space, the same surprising events that she is as she goes through. And um, each person has their own unique journey through this 45 minute I should just add that people who need to sit down we will have some seating because of course you know we have people with with mobility issues or you know if you just want to take a rest um you can do that we're also aware because people have pointed out to us that some of these events may distress people who have an intimate connection with dementia or may suddenly find themselves a bit overwhelmed and we are providing a, a chill-out space um, at the entrance where you get your headphones. So if you need to go out, 
take a little breath and come back in, you can do that too. Yeah. Using 45 downstairs for this, uh, it, it seems like a very fitting space because it, for traditional theatre, it can sometimes be a challenging space to work in. Yeah. Because you've got pillars supporting the roof. It's quite a long, strangely shaped room. So where do you put the seating banks? Where do you put the actors and the lighting mm. for, for best results? But given those constraints, given the, the, the windows at the side that you can use for, for lighting effects and so forth and the opportunity to 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 literally to drift as an audience mm. member through and around the space. It seems like a very fitting uh, venue was, to stay It was work. really good. When I thought about all the venues in Melbourne that, you know, the independent theatre um, offers, 45 Downstairs was the perfect one for this. And it's proving to be a really rich place. And when you are in the space and there's no seating, it's very resonant um, it's very moody. It's 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 really quite beautiful. It's funny for me because I actually did the first performance ever in the downstairs theatre when, you know, we had to bring in the brooms and the mops to, to sweep the dust away and it was open at that point. Now, since then, it's, it's not often. You do get some shows that use the whole space. But it's actually really exciting to go in there and have the all of that space to play with. As you said, Richard, it's really atmospheric. The windows, it's got so much character um, and we're really using that. So it's not a traditional black box. It's a white gallery-style space and the windows are really, we are using them in a secret sequence, which you'll have to come and see. Also, I'd just like to add that... um, uh, if, if people think, oh, here we go, another issue-based play, very worthy, blah, blah, blah. That's not actually the way we've approached our subject matter. Um, I'm, th- I, I, th- I think of it as, as watching a Tiffany lamp shatter all these different beautiful pieces, scattering themselves through the space. And our challenge has been to create, um, a structure for that within which this, Sometimes terrifying, sometimes joyous, sometimes very tender. Um, and sometimes life quite funny. Gets yeah, it gets gets explored. So it, it it it's not looking at the issue. It's looking at a very beautiful, strong, colorful life in different pieces. The fact that it's, as you say, it's this is not about an issue per se, but it is it about is about an experience, and it's one of the things that any art can do, and mm. theatre perhaps more so than than any other, particularly this kind of immersive mm. uh, theatre model, mm. is to provide uh, an experience which um, encourages empathy and understanding, and the well, experience to not just think about. Uh, somebody else's experience in a different world, but to feel it. Thank you, Richard. You have just beautifully encapsulated that. <laughs> Can we quote you? Um, it's it's interesting. I was talking to my grandson the other day, trying to explain how it went, and his comment was, "Oh, it's kind of like." virtual reality. It's like a video game except you're really there. I said, thank you, Charlie. That's that's really good. It has taken us a long time to find that form. Uh, we first did our first development in 2012 at La Mama. Um, the core of this piece is, if you like, a song cycle. 
So there's a range of musical references and musical styles. It's it's a lot of voice because I'm a, a voice person and so is Nancy. Um, so there's singing, there's talking. Sometimes the text breaks up completely. So actually looking for and finding the way to get that immersion that you're talking about has been a real challenge at times. But, but very The song exciting. styles go from, for example, um, Berio to English folk. So Now, given that you're involved, Nancy, as a director, um, you have a, many of the times I've, I've interviewed you has, uh, uh, has been about works which incorporate puppetry in some way. Yes. Uh, And given what Alison was saying earlier, um, I'm kind of expecting that as people move through this space, uh, objects will move and come to life. I was curious that you think that, Richard. I wonder why. But you might, you might be right. I'll, I'll think about that today. Good guess. <laughs> but you know, I don't like normal puppetry. Mm. I mean, I, that's not true. I do like it, but it's not the, the, I don't like working with things in normal ways. I love what puppetry can suggest metaphorically and what it can provoke in the human imagination and the human soul. And, we, 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 we might be putting some of that into this. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Uh, we're talking about the Book of Revelations, if you've just tuned in, which is being presented uh, at 45 downstairs from the 19th to the 30th of July. Um, Alison, in terms of developing the, the, the text for this work, um, what kind of input uh, and uh, workshopping did you do uh, with people who are familiar with, with Alzheimer's, with dementia? The impetus for the whole piece um, was my experience with my father who had dementia and took a very long time um, to go through that. So that was about 10 years' worth of my personal experience. We've, of, of course, read up a lot on current research. As it turns out, every member of our creative team knows someone or has a family member with dementia. So there's a lot of personal experience in there. And we've also really benefited from uh, our association with Alzheimer's Australia, who've been very helpful. We have done workshops facilitated by Alzheimer's Australia Victoria and also um, Bentley's Aged Care in Bendigo, which is part of Honeysuckle Regional Health. Um, we've we've been up to talk to staff members and carers there. So some of those groups have had people either who have had family diagnoses or who are themselves in the early stages of dementia as well. So we've really been able to talk to and draw on um, a very wide range of information and also personal experience in in building this. It's fascinating for me to see more collaborations like this between the health sector and the art sector, mm. for example, mm. uh, be- partially because of the value that art has in terms of 
uh, telling stories, encouraging empathy and so forth, but also because I think for the the health sector, they sometimes feel that they're shouting into a void with their, their messages and their work unless you are directly connected in some way. You don't hear about their work they're doing. So uh, back in 2012, I think it was, um, Alzheimer's Australia partnered with Cage yes, on, that's right, on their the work Sundowners. Sundowner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, the, the and the value of that work, the way it can um, uh, broaden the audience for a health message mm-hmm. and at the same time expose an arts audience to something that uh, w- will be a, bu- a beautiful piece of work as well as a significant piece of work without having to be, oh, here is a serious issue which we are going to kind of bang you over the head with. Yes, and also I wanted to... Um, uh, because I, when I, in another one of my hats, I um, have long been associated with various um, support programs and organizations to do with disability. And um, as I'm sure you're very aware, the, the whole uh, principle of inclusion has become very, very prominent and important in the way we approach disabilities of all sorts. And for me, um, I, I wanted to embrace the, the, the people whose lives are affected by dementia into the notion of being part of the human experience, of creating art, of a life that is valuable and interesting and um, that should be reflected Yes, d- dementia is particularly scary to people because meaning disappears. And, you know, for those of us who spend so much of our day trying to be normal, um, the fact that the person you knew is disappearing, is becoming something other, and that can be absolutely terrifying to watch. So I guess one of the things we really wanted to say was this is – these. People who are living with dementia are human. They are still individuals. And, of course, one of the wonderful things about dementia is the brain is quite a complex thing. So there are about a 100 different kinds of dementia. Um, and not all of them are immediately fatal. They they manifest in different parts of the brain. Some people have beautiful language, other people find their language disappearing and so on and so forth. So when we're constructing Ada, Ada's experience is different. You know, she's she's not necessarily, there's no one-size-fits-all standard dementia sufferer. You know, it's, it's, it is an experience and it is very rich internally even when we can't necessarily communicate if people can't tell you what they're experiencing. Some things are very terrifying, others are rather wonderful and odd and quirky. And this production is trying yes. to capture all of that. We are. The and production, it does. I, well, I'll uh, hold you to that. <laughs> Black Hole Theatre. That's a big claim. The Book yes. of Revelations is on at 45 downstairs from the 19th to the 30th of July. Uh, opening at night is the 21st, which means the 19th and the 20th are previews. So That's if right. um, uh, you're a little bit strapped for cash, the previews are the night to get along to. That's it. Come along. Because tickets are always a little cheaper. Um, <laughs> 
the, it is running from Wednesdays to Saturdays at 7.30pm, Sundays at 5pm. It runs for 15 minutes, but it is some of the performances are on, uh, on a loop. So to experience the full show, enter before 8.30pm. Go to the 45downstairs.com website for full details. And the performance on Saturday, the 22nd of July, is a fundraising event for Black Hole Theatre. Entry price uh, is $50 for that particular performance. Otherwise, tickets are $25 to $35. Actually, no. No. Uh, they're all the same now. Oh, okay. we, we decided to, um, sorry, if you want to give us 50 bucks, we're really happy to take it. But actually that performance is now standard. standard. So it's okay. all the same. So tickets 25 to $35 for all performances. Okay. Black Hole Theatre's The Book of Revelations at 45 downstairs, located, if you've not been there before, as the name suggests, at 45 Flinders Lane. Alison Richards, Nancy Black, thank you very much for joining us here at Triple R. Thanks, thank Richard. you, Richard. Hope to see you at the show. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. I'm joined now in the studio by Rosalind Odes, who joins us to talk about hello, goodbye and happy birthday, uh, which is embarking on a national tour. It's already played down at the Theatre Royal beautiful old theatre in Hobart. It's currently on in Geelong. So uh, if you live in or around Geelong, uh, you can head along there. Then it moves on to the Alumbra Theatre in Bendigo before heading on to Wagga Wagga, Bathurst, Kasula Powerhouse, Parramatta and more. Ros, welcome to Triple R. Thank you. So hello, goodbye and happy birthday. Uh, and I'll just mention that uh, Fleur Kilpatrick talked about it briefly earlier. So if people were listening then, they'll have uh, had a, a little bit of a teaser as to what's in store for the piece. What is it with you and headphones and theatre and scripts that the actors perform as they listen to conversations rather than memorising a script and delivering it in their own way? Oh, well, I guess I, I see myself as falling into the genre of creative nonfiction, which you don't hear so much about in the theatre world, but, oh. it, you know, is a well-established tradition in, in the literary, uh, literary world. Um, so my work basically, like a documentary filmmaker or, an you know, a reporter of a, a long-form journalistic piece, I have a line of inquiry and I interview a lot of people audio, and take audio recordings of them, which I then edit into what I call an audio script, which I'm playing to the actors on stage. So throughout rehearsal and on stage throughout the show in entirety, the actors are wearing headphones and hearing the recordings of real people that I've spoken to and they are attempting to copy what they're hearing as precisely as possible. Almost we talk about use, treating the, the voice like uh, music and they're there to copy that score of the voices precisely. So with, for every intonation then, so the arms, the stutters, the, the weird mangled phrases that people have one of the things that fascinates me about theatre is sometimes you watch it and go people don't talk like that I interview people for a living I know that people stop and start sentences and go off at tangents and it's very rare we see those authentic speech patterns replicated on stage yes exactly and that's a common um, response I get from audiences wow that's so familiar you know they really recognize themselves and this work is the fifth work I've made of this style um, and it's my most complicated work in that it's very interested in tribalism and the way groups of people speak together and I find that really fascinating to recreate on stage who gets heard who gets spoken over the way people overlap each other um, I, I find that really interesting 
Now, people may have seen some of your earlier work, such as I'm Your Man, which was set in a boxing gym, for example. So there's still that element of ritual there and the element of tribalism, which is again reflected here in Hello, Goodbye and Happy Birthday. But one of the things that's fascinating with this work is the way you've inverted the ages of the performers involved. So you have elderly actors playing 18-year-olds, you have young people playing characters in their 80s and beyond. Why did you want to invert it like that? Uh, I guess it's a creative decision for me. I think headphone verbatim, um, which is what I call this form of theatre, can be gimmicky if it hasn't got a reason to be there. And I really think as an artist, you're always thinking about the relationship between the content of the work and the form. And for me, um, I really wanted to explore how we perceive age. The work was inspired by going to an 18th birthday party and an 80th birthday party. And I was quite interested in um, those adult milestones and the way we think about people that are uh, you know, have, have retired and are moving into needing some sort of care and, and also how we think about young people. And I think there's a lot of, there's a huge generation gap between those ages. And so on stage, what I've done is I have elderly, uh, senior actors, sorry, I don't want to call them elderly, senior actors who are very healthy, but are in their 70s. And I have young actors close to the age of 18. And essentially, they play each other on stage. So it's it's very delightful to see the senior actors performing the words of 18-year-olds and vice versa. And I think what I'm hoping is I'm asking the audience to listen differently to those voices. Um, I think we make a lot of assumptions about elderly people being conservative and young people being disrespectful and um, I, I think it's wonderful. I love hearing young audiences laugh their heads off watching senior actors perform them and vice versa. I think there's something, uh, you know, really fascinating about us, for us to just, which asks us to listen differently. And ask us to uh, reconsider our own preconceptions as well because seeing uh, an actor close to the age of 80, talking about getting drunk and getting laid in a park, for example. Exactly. Um, we have some of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in terms then of framing the work, uh, mm. talk to us about, so you've, you've obviously got these, these ideas around age and preconception and so forth. How did you find the right structure to present these stories and ideas on stage? Yeah, that's an excellent question because I think that's one of the biggest challenges with um, creative nonfiction is how do you make a dynamic structure when there's not a, a narrative naturally there? Um, and, you know, these works take me a very long time and, you know, I guess it took two years to make this work and three different creative developments along the way. Um, and because the work was inspired by going to these milestone birthday parties and I, I really wanted to think about the, the drama of those thresholds, what it is, to there's so much drama at the threshold and I feel like 18 is that age where you you grab the steering wheel of adult life and you get to make the decisions for yourself and post 80 um you're know, handing the steering wheel to yeah someone else, we perhaps. have to work out how to do that I mean I think that's a very challenging threshold where you can't do all the things that you used to be able to do um so I decided to set the work at a birthday party and when I could collected the interview material, I went to as many 18th, 80th, 90th and 100th birthday parties as I could crash in that two-year period. How many 100th birthdays did you crash? Um, one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I also, yeah, one and a half because someone sent me a recording, did a recording for me of 100th birthday in Sydney that I couldn't attend. But I did, yeah, so I have recordings from two 100th birthdays. What's yeah. it like for you as an artist to go into these significant social occasions, I imagine often for com with complete strangers yes that must be a number of hurdles to overcome there your own personal sense of I'm invading I'm a yes. I'm, I'm a, a third wheel this is awkward and yes. then trying to also 
uh, established rapport and trust with yeah. the, the people you're interviewing. Yes, yes, I, and I take those things very seriously because people are really trusting me and I'm asking them to trust me. I mean, obviously I do all those ethical things of having release forms and I, I have to be very strict with those things. Um, yeah, oh gosh, I've forgotten what the question was, <laughs> sorry. Just talk to us about that process of negotiation and, and oh, being the alien in the space. Yes, um, yeah, I, I I enjoy as an artist being the alien in the space. I want everyone else to be comfortable uh, and forget I'm there. And I know Joan Didion talked about you know wanting to kind of be invisible as an interviewer and, and you know kind of she was very good at being mousy and kind of disappearing. And, and I I try and be that person that kind of disappears and everyone takes over. Um, Going to birthdays was a little bit confronting, but most confronting was going to schoolies on the Gold Coast. Oh, God. Um, as a, yes, being in my 40s and attending schoolies, the, the name for people like me is a, 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 a toolie. toolie or even a drooly, if you're my mm. age. So it was a little bit confronting going up to groups of young men saying, hey, can I come up to your apartment and interview you guys over pizza? And then just giving me that look like, who are you? Um, but eventually I did get some really great recordings at schoolies, but that was probably the most challenging part of the uh as far as feeling out of place what did you learn about young people that was a surprise to you in that process um well i'm very interested in the voice one thing i learned was how many americanisms are being used in that vocally in those vocal prints lots of use of the word like um but also the other thing that did surprise me and sadden me was uh i think about 50 percent of the young people i interviewed voluntarily told me that they experienced anxiety attacks or were taking antidepressants, which I was quite surprised by. It felt like a bit of an epidemic of anxiety going on in that age group. Could that perhaps inspire a whole different work? Potentially. <laughs> I'll have to find another two years of my life. <laughs> yes. Hello, Goodbye and Happy Birthday is the latest work by Rosalind Ode and her collaborators. Uh, and yes. you can see it um, uh, at the Geelong Performing Arts Centre, GPAC. Uh, it's on now until the 15th of July, so performances tonight, Friday and Saturday. Then it goes on uh, up to Bendigo, the Alumbra Theatre in the old jail. Which is an amazing space. Isn't it just? It's just... I, I went up there a couple of years ago to see the, the Australian musical Ned about oh, Ned Kelly. Oh, that was their first kind of show real, yeah. after they'd opened. And just walking in, not realising that you're passing uh, the box office is an old cell and you're walking under yeah. the gallows and then the theatre is so warm and alive and a and beautiful space. And it's an amazing space. conversion. Yeah. I mean, they've had it all smoked by the local Indigenous community and the local Chinese community as well. have done smoking ceremonies before they started. And I know this because I'm starting a new project in Bendigo called If the Walls Could Talk, which is looking at those three layers of the original site. It was a special uh, meeting place for the local Indigenous community. Then it's been a jail and now a lumber is the theatre. So um, if anyone is out, out there is has got a connection to the site, whether f through the prison community or the Indigenous community or the theatre community, um, yes, we're starting this project and called If the Walls Could Talk. If you do have a connection like that, you can get in touch with Ros through her website, www.roslinode.com. Thank you for that. <laughs> now, um, as I said, so it's uh, Geelong until this weekend, the 15th, then Bendigo on the 18th, and then your show leaves you behind and goes all across the country. Do you get to, to travel to, uh, I don't know, um, Mount Gambia, Renmark, Mandurah, Wollongong, the Gold Coast, Darwin, etc., or do you just stay home in Melbourne while, and 
kind of wave it farewell? Well, it's a bit of having to let go. And as a creative director, I'm very invested in the show. But I actually um, am going to a lot of those places because for me, I'm very passionate about taking contemporary performance to new audiences. And this tour is is part of an Australian council initiative called Roadwork, which is committed to taking contemporary performance um, to regional places and engaging with those audiences. So I am doing a lot of uh, workshops on the road and artist talks um, at various places. So I am on some legs of the tour. Fantastic. Well, uh, I hope audiences adore the work. Uh, The show is called Hello, Goodbye and Happy Birthday. Uh, It's presented uh, by Performing Lines uh, and you can find tour dates and details at performinglines.org.au. Rosalind Oates, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. A pleasure. Thanks for having me in. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.